right. Good morning, church. If you have your bulletin, uh, there's an insert in there, but um, it might be better used as a fan. I highly recommend it. It's just too hot, just in life. Well, hey, um, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you guys this morning to bring the word. Uh, Pastor Tim is on his third week of vacation uh, this week. Yep, yep, you can cheer for vacation. Woo! So I want to ask the question this morning before we begin, why does God bother with us? Why does he bother with you? Why does he bother with me? He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. And he gives us what we don't deserve. Right? He gives us Jesus. He gives us forgiveness. He offers us adoption as sons and daughters. He gives us eternal life. He gives us food and breath. But why would he bother with a people as wicked as us? Or maybe I'll make it more personal. Why does he bother with me? If you've been around me for more than five minutes, you have seen my many shortcomings, my failures, my sinfulness. You've seen me act foolishly. You've heard me be ungenerous or unkind to my wife or angry at my kids or unloving to my neighbor. And yet our God is well aware of my weaknesses. And yet for him, it's not a problem. So in order to answer the question of why does God bother with us, today we're going to look at a sermon, a sermon written by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Now this is the last sermon that Moses writes to Israel before they enter into the promised land, just shortly before he goes to die. Now this passage gives us the answer to why God bothers with us. But before we get into the passage, let me just give you a little bit of background so we know what's been going on here in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's the last book of what we call the Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch simply means five scrolls. And the word Deuteronomy literally means second law. But second law is not really the best way to look at the book of Deuteronomy. More clearly, it should be looked at as a series of sermons given by Moses to the Israelites right before they enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. Now, Israel was in Moab at this time, which is east of the Jordan Valley, just in modern-day Jordan. And Moses had been leading the people out of captivity in Egypt and through the wilderness for the last 40 years. The people have struggled, they've complained, they've followed after other gods, they've broken God's laws, and by this time, every one of the adults who left Egypt from captivity had died except for three, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Now Moses was near the end of his life, and because of his failures in the wilderness, God had told him that he also would not enter the promised land, that he would use Joshua to bring his people. And Moses knew that trying hard to get into the promised land on their own would not work. 
They had sent in spies, and, and the spies come back, and they were afraid because the people in the land were huge, warriors. They knew they could not defeat these people on their own. They would need the Lord on their side. And so he reminds them of that truth here in Deuteronomy 29 through 31. And he spends much of, the, of his sermon reminding the people of the covenant that God had made with them and how he has brought them out of captivity in Egypt and provided for them while in the wilderness. So let's start in chapter 29 and let's look at verses 1 through 6. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab. Besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Now, the people of Israel did not see the blessings of God in their lives. Their locations had changed from place to place. Generations had come and gone. But their hearts remained the same. They were closed to the work and the providence of the Lord in their lives. For 40 years, God had given them everything that they needed while they wandered in the wilderness. He cared for millions of people, providing their daily bread, water from rocks. For every single one of their needs. But the people just could not see what the Lord was doing in their lives. I remember my wife and I planning a trip for our boys. For weeks, we planned and prepared to take them to their favorite place on a journey to Legoland. Best place ever, right? They love it. We intended for this trip to be a surprise. So for them, we wake them up really early. It's still dark out. We wake them up. We're like, come on, let's go. We have a special day planned. You don't even know. It's going to be amazing. Let's go get in the car. Get dressed. Brush your teeth. And their hearts were filled with jubilation. No. No. All they did was complain. Why are you waking us up so early? Where are we going? We don't want to go. We want to stay home and play video games. And it didn't matter how well we had planned and prepared, how much coaxing we tried to give them. They could not see what we were trying to do, where we were trying to take them. They did not trust that we had something good in store for them. All they could see in that moment was their own circumstances. It's early. It's dark out. Why are you waking me up? Now, we, we eventually did get them in the car. 
And I pulled into McDonald's for breakfast, and I'm like, welcome, here's your surprise. And they were like, uh, what? Oh, and then we drove them to Legoland, and they were overjoyed with, with happiness. But we did have this awesome day as a family at Legoland, but the journey to get there was a painful one. Now, in chapter 31, Moses is about to die, and he's preparing Israel for Joshua to take over as their leader. And and look what he writes in verses 26 through 29, if you flip a couple chapters over. He says this, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, You have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you. Because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Now Moses tells Israel straight out, you are going to do evil. You're going to be a wicked people. You're going to turn to other gods. And if that wasn't enough, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and look at verses 16 through 18. God says this to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. So they will say, And they will be devoured, excuse me. And many evils and troubles will come upon them. So they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. It wasn't if they would do evil, it was when. They would do evil. God knew his people would abandon them. They knew, he knew that they would not follow the commands that he had given them and that they would forsake the covenant that he made with his people. He knew that they would turn away and yet he still makes this promise with them. He still chooses to bless them and save them to call them his chosen people. And this is the problem. Israel was not a nation that deserved God. They did not deserve God's attention or his affection. They did not deserve to have the God of the universe care for them. And yet our God doesn't see that as a problem. Instead, 
He provides a solution. And we see that solution in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 6. If you turn there. Starting in verse 1. I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And then verse 6 is the focus for today. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and you will live. God will circumcise your heart so that you may love him and live. God's people would take possession of the land. He would move them into Canaan, and just like he said, just like Moses said, they would blow it. And God told them that what would happen is that he would scatter them. And that they would once again become captives and slaves. But then he promises to bring them back. To circumcise their hearts so that they could live. Now this prophecy did in fact come true. It happened after God led his people into Israel. And just like he said, the nation fell into sin and idolatry. Now the nation was united under King David around the year 1000 B.C., But because of their sin and rebellion, they shortly divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And their idolatry continued. The northern kingdom falls to the Assyrian in 722 B.C. And the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians in 596 B.C. And most of the people at this time were taken again into captivity and lived in exile in Babylon. But in the book of Zechariah, about 70 years later, God brings his people back and the temple is rebuilt. The people were blessed by God and they were given prophets to guide him and direct him in their worship. And God is again faithful to the covenant that he had made, even though his people were not. So what's really happening here in these chapters? Because everything changes in in chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Verse 6 is a promise from God. Now, we don't typically talk much about circumcised hearts. That possibly is because we think of other Kinds of circumcision. But in this particular passage, the word circumcision simply means a mark. It's a metaphor for being changed or dedicated. 
God changes or dedicates the hearts of his chosen people to him. We don't circumcise or change our own hearts. It's something that God does for us. And when he does that in our lives, it makes wholehearted obedience to him possible. Now, this is great news because we are unable to change ourselves. Only God can change us. And the beauty of the gospel, even as early as Deuteronomy, is that our God not only is willing, but he is able. He's able to bring about true change in our lives. He wants to change people like you and like me. He's a great God. And He can be trusted to do what is impossible for us to do. He's a good God. So we can trust that He will do this well. And He's a gracious God. One that we can trust with our deepest hurts and failures. Our God is truly all we need. Now let's, let's continue with what this means before we return to our question about why God is doing this and why he bothers with with Israel and with us at all. Now this passage in Deuteronomy is the first place that God reveals his hand. We call it the new covenant. And it wasn't only established in the New Testament with Jesus, but way back here in the book of Deuteronomy with Moses. Because from the very beginning of time, God has been working for us to be in relationship with Him. Every time you read the word covenant in the Old Testament, you should think that God is setting up a way for His people to be in a relationship with Him. That's what He did when He made promises to Abraham. Moses, when He made promises to David. They were promises that were intended to bring us into a relationship with God. So this is how it worked for for the people sitting there listening to this sermon from Moses. It was the answer to their frustration, their continual rebellion, their failure and inability to change their own hearts. And the only way they could do that was to look forward to a day when this new relationship would be set up. A relationship not based on the obligation of the law, but a relationship built on hope and grace through faith, unfailing love and forgiveness. Moses' last sermon holds firm to the idea that messed up people will someday be different, changed and made new. It's a sermon that reminds us that God will sort out all this mess and will look at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. And this new covenant, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, is one that brings us deliverance and freedom and life. But for Israel now, what is their response to be God is calling them to a life of trust, knowing that he has ultimately won the battle, which means 
that they can stop living in fear and they can get on with living for him in the meantime. And he spells this out for them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and your length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. He's telling them, look to God. Live for God. Trust God right now. Secure in the knowledge that He is doing what you and I cannot do. And one day He will set up this new way of knowing Him. This is the gospel according to Moses. Now God knew what his people would do when they got into the land of Israel. And despite all of their idolatry, their failures, him giving them chance after chance after chance and watching them fail, God still loved them. He never gave up on them. He stood by his promises And a few hundred years later, he makes an even bigger promise through the prophet Nathan to the King David. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you would, a few few books to your right. 2 Samuel 7, about halfway through verse 11. He says this, Moreover, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now we know that the king in the line of David is is Jesus. We know that he died and rose again, conquered death on the cross. We know that he will live forever and that his kingdom and rule will remain forever. And not only does our God make it possible for you and I to be justified, giving us Jesus' perfect record instead of our own terrible one, but he makes it possible for us to be transformed, made holy and sanctified by faith. He even enables us to repent and come back to Him. We have the privilege now as believers of looking back and seeing the full picture of the gospel, which Moses could only see in part. But it is the very same gospel. 
God's plan is and always has been to bring us into a relationship with Him. So do you see why this passage helps us answer our question as to why God bothers with Israel? Why He bothers with you and me? Why He bothers with Israel when they break covenant with Him time and time again? Why He bothers with us when we fail in our commitment to Him over and over again? Why doesn't He just give up on them? Why doesn't He give up on us? Why not give up up on earth altogether? Just throw out all of creation. Start somewhere new. Made a big universe. I'm sure he could find a planet that worked. Now there's two related answers. The first is the nature of God. And the second is the promises of God. He created the universe out of a desire to share his love. And he spared Adam and Eve because of that great love. And he's patient with us because of the promises he made to Abraham, to Moses, and to David. And just like he loves Israel, he loves us. And we are the beneficiaries of his love, of the promises that he has made to generation after generation. He doesn't bother with me because of my great character or because I can somehow earn his affection or attention. He doesn't even bother with me because of my exceptional good looks. He bothers with me because he is a God of love who loves unconditionally and whose very being is love. And because he loves us so greatly, he circumcises our hearts as he promised. He changes our hearts towards him. And with those changed hearts, we are able to love him and our neighbors. Let me tell you something. Loving God is not something that's impossible for us. You can do it. You can even love your neighbors. As crazy as that might sound sometimes. Our God sees hope in us. And because he gives us circumcised hearts, because he changes us with his love, we are able to love him and love those around us. It is his nature to love us. It is his nature to keep his promises. Now, this is not good news for people who want to do things their own way who look at the covenant that God made, the promises that he's given to his people and say, you know what, I got a better way. But it is exceptionally great news for those who are willing to accept the love that God is offering to you and I today. God loved us so much that he bothered making a way for us to spend eternity with him. Uh, my, my son Isaiah and I like to play a little game. And uh, the game kind of starts where I, I say to him, who loves you the most? And he'll look up at me with that little, little wry smile. 
And he says, Mama. <laughs> and it's a good answer. It's a good answer. But it's not the answer I'm looking for. And so at that point, the game proceeds with me attacking him with tickles and asking him repeatedly over and over again, who loves you the most? And, you know, between the squeals and the laughter and the chuckling, eventually he gives in and he says, Papa, Papa loves me the most. And then I relent. Sometimes he finally looks at me and he says, Jesus loves me the most. And then I have to relent because it's the right answer, right? It's good. All right, son, that's good theology. I'll I'll stop the tickles. But I love that moment with him. I love those times because in that enjoyment, in that time where he sees me as Papa and knows that I truly love him, he's content. He's filled with joy. He's happy. God saved the people of Israel so he could enjoy their enjoyment of him. So that he could see them in the promised land where they were intended to be. They were told to go in and build houses, to plant orchards and vineyards, to care for sheep and goats, to teach one another, to love one another. And each day they were called to enjoy the blessings that God had for them. And so it is with us. As we go about our daily work, the things that God has called us to do, whether we're studying or working with our hands, caring for others, creating something, serving, we do these things well and to the glory of God because He has changed our hearts. We might not look at the challenges Israel faced before they entered the promised land as something that relates to our own struggles. As the same kinds of challenges that we face on a daily basis. But I want to tell you something. That your God sees your struggles, that he sees the challenges that you face day by day, and he knows that they're real. And he knows that they're difficult but his promise is that he will be with you no matter what. Even if you're not faithful, he will be. And I don't know about you, but there's great comfort in that, great hope. Because we don't have to get there ourselves. Do you see the beauty of God's plan here? This isn't just ancient history, something that happened thousands of years ago. It's not just good theology. This is God's plan to help you day by day, moment by moment, live a life that is worth living. Moses knew the Israelites couldn't make it into the promised land on their own. God knew that they'd fail and walk away from him. And he knows that you and I can never make our way to him on our own. But he has a better plan. And that plan is Jesus. And you may ask, as people have 
for hundreds of years. Why did God wait so long? It's a good question. Why did he wait for hundreds of years to send Jesus? Why not send Jesus back to Moses' day? Straighten out those Israelites right there and then. Why didn't he just send Jesus back to the garden? Make sure Adam and Eve weren't blowing it like they did. Now, only God knows his purposes and plans, but I will tell you this. By God choosing to wait, we as his creation have the opportunity to see that he is a God who is faithful. That he is a God who keeps his promises and that he is a God who truly loves his creation. We get to look back and see that our God never fails. We look back and see that he's a God who bothers with us because he loves us and he keeps his promises. This is the God that we know, that we trust and we follow. And because of what we've heard today, we know that with Jesus, we are able to live lives of love and hope and obedience. So every time in the weeks ahead that you're faced with trials, struggles, difficulties, I want you to remember the gospel according to Moses in Deuteronomy 29 through 31. Remember that your God is a God who makes and keeps promises. That he will never leave you or never forsake you, no matter how much you fail. That he is always going to keep his covenant with you. Because he loves you. Remember that he will help you live a life of faithful obedience. Because that is his nature. And those are his promises. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, church. Father God, we thank you that you had a plan from the very beginning. A plan to lead us from death into life. A plan to bring us out of our bondage and captivity into a relationship with you. And we thank you that you are a God who is always faithful. No matter the circumstances, Lord, no matter our failures, Lord, you are with us. Lord, we want to be your people. And we know that we are often unfaithful. That we often forget. Father, we want to be reminded continually of the promises you made. Lord, because of that reminder, we know. We know that you are faithful. So, Lord, we ask, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would just guide us, direct us, show us the way. Call us back if we're, if we're being disobedient. Draw us near to you. Show us your great love for us. That we might praise you and honor you as a God who is ever faithful. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.